Sometimes it feels like the sun will never rise, like the birds will never sing again. That's right. When you don't know what to do, just keep on breathing. From the City of Angels in Los Angeles. Some would say Fallen Angels, <laughs> but that's another story. Welcome to all my listeners out there in Radio Land. I'm Dave, the Caregiver's Caregiver at caregiverdave.com. And we're also coming to you live and on demand 24-7 on numerous syndicated radio and podcast networks on 26 global audio and video platforms, including iHeartRadio, iTunes, YouTube, Spreaker, SoundCloud, Vimeo, Stitcher Radio, Blog Talk Radio. Oh, my. The list goes on and on. And in fact, we are recently voted and are proud to be voted number one caregiver podcast on Feedspot out of thousands and also number one caregiver podcast of the top 50 on Player FM. And we have an especially exciting show planned for you today. Today's show is all about near-death experiences. Captain Dale Black, in his new book, Visiting Heaven, recounts the tragic plane crash that took the lives of two other pilots. Although he was the lone survivor, Dale broke nearly every bone in his body and severed his right eye. His recovery was slow and painful, but the results were miraculous. What no one knew was that his journey went well beyond the emergency room and hospital. Dale actually died and had what many term as a near-death experience, but he kept what he saw, heard, and learned to himself for over four decades, based on advice from his grandfather, <laughs> who was the only person Dale confided in. But before we get started, I do want to take this moment and thank my last week's guest, Debbie Compton, three-time caregiver for parents with difficult forms of dementia, Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, vascular dementia. She's also a certified caregiving consultant and author of nine books. Her first book, Caregiving, How to Hold On While Letting Go, offers actionable steps for caregivers. And just a reminder, you can hear that interview in any of our interviews, including this one, on our website caregiverdave.com or any of the 26 global audio and video platforms i mentioned above all right enough of that dale so great to have you on the caregiver dave show it's been uh many weeks trying to get you on and we're, we're glad it finally has happened well it's great to me uh be with you and meet you again uh we met personally in hollywood a few weeks ago we did at <laughs> another great movie uh tell us about that real briefly well, it's a movie called After Death. It started out being a, a short video uh, called Discovering Heaven. And uh, we worked three years on that. The director, I was just one of the talents in that, but uh, the director worked three years with us and he put together a really good uh, depiction of the crash that I was involved in. At a Hollywood Burbank Airport, not far from where you live. Yeah, I, I was uh, raised in Burbank after we moved from New York. Well, I'll be. Uh, yeah, I know uh, Hollywood Burbank well, and I know the uh, mortuary where your plane landed very well. Yeah, interesting. Well, you're probably too young to remember the crash itself. It, it took place in 1969, uh, July 18th, 1969 is when that happened. I uh, was 15, by the way. Oh, my gosh. Well, you. I'm older than I look, yes. Well, yeah, that's a fact. Good for you. <laughs> Somebody's taking care of you, right? It's Jesus, actually. Yeah. Praise, <laughs> God. Praise God. And the gym. 
Yeah. My beautiful wife. Yeah, I understand. So, um, I like to ask my guests the first question, uh, just who is Dale Black and why was he placed on God's green earth? <laughs> well, I, I was born just like everybody else. My parents, uh, you know, I, I had three children. I was the middle child, um, grew up in a nice business uh, family there in Long Beach, California, mm. was where our business was. We had uh, lumber uh, related products. I grew up in the trucking department. I had a, a, a wrench in my hand uh, by about age five. I was driving trucks literally at mm. age 12, backing up big trucks. And then by the time I was 15, I was driving the big uh, rigs in the parking lot. At 16 and a half, I got my license and uh, my driver's license for big rigs. But I, I grew up at age 14. We took a trip all the way around the world. It went to Damascus, by the way, oh. and other places all, all over the world, the big cities. And that trip, uh, David, uh, it changed my life. I, I knew then that I wanted to be a pilot. I was 14. These were the days. These were the golden days of aviation. Oh, my goodness. And uh, it was a wonderful industry. And I just really couldn't wait to someday, if possible, become a pilot and fly those big jets and have this life, what appeared to be uh, full of adventure. <laughs> so that's how I started. And uh, But God, I don't think God had any particular plan for my life that was unusual compared to you or anyone else. Yeah. That's speaking. Uh, however, God has a tendency, as I've learned, to take something that could be very, very bad, and <laughs> if you allow him to turn it into something very, very good. Yes. I think that's what happened in my case. When I woke up from a coma uh, on the morning of the fourth day, I knew that I had spent time with God face-to-face. -face. It's all described better than I can explain it in the book, Visiting Heaven. But my life completely changed the moment I woke up. I have never been the same person. I know that my, my four days in a coma changed everything. Everybody that knows me knows that my whole life was changed, even though the only person I told about my heaven experience was my grandfather. And frankly, I did not want to tell anybody. It's kind of, especially back in that day, sure. I heard of it. I'd never read about it. I don't think anybody else that I right. knew heard about it either. Probably thought you were the only one that it happened to. Yeah. But before you go on, let's not get ahead of ourselves. Let's start with, because a lot of people don't know who you are, never heard your story. Uh, tell us real briefly how it is that you crashed as an airline pilot in a cemetery. <laughs> well, uh, we were <laughs> on a commercial flight flying commuter airplanes on that morning of the uh, July morning in, in, in Burbank. And uh, we were delivering bank checks to different banks, to different cities, uh, five days a week. And I was the co-pilot, not... I was not paid for this job, but I was getting experience uh -huh. to fly. So I did the things uh, 
other pilot didn't want to do and that he would let me go. I was not an airline pilot yet. I was a pilot in training, still a college student and definitely a truck driver to pay for everything because I had no loans and no uh, no borrowed money. It was just if I could afford it, I would pay for it. And so I was a pay as you go college student, sure, sure. go pilot. So I was uh, just doing the normal job of flying a commuter aircraft, delivering bank checks throughout. How big was that plane? Ten passengers, twin engine, reciprocating engines. A prop? Yes. Okay. So then what happened? It was a beautiful airplane, though. I bet it it was. Yeah. (laughs) We were taking off that morning. There was no wind no weather to speak of just the normal smog you know in mornings and uh we started rotating down the uh, rolling down the runway but 30 seconds before takeoff uh i was take i was asked to get out of the co-pilot seat and sit in the temporary third seat so that the captain who's normally flying the left seat would be in the right seat because that day the uh the brother-in-law of the chief pilot wanted to fly and uh, he was not paid either, but he knew how to do it. He's a police officer and uh, a a mature individual. And there's no reason to believe that he be making any mistakes that day. So there was three pilots. We were carrying cargo, no passengers on a beautiful day. I'm now right. My, my legs and feet are in the cockpit my rear end is sitting on the temporary third seat and we're rolling down the runway. We accelerate and then the nose uh, pitches up. The landing gears brought up. We get about a hundred feet off the ground and David, everything seemed normal to me. And uh, I'm watching the instruments. Everything looks good. And then within a matter of a few seconds, something changed in the sound of the engines. Um, Many people thought that we must have had an engine failure. And so I thought that too, but but apparently we didn't. But there was this strange whine between the two engines. And uh, to make a long, long story short, within a matter of seconds, uh, the left wing clipped the tops of some very tall trees, about 100 feet tall trees. And this impact with the wingtip of our aircraft turned that smaller airplane toward this building, which was about 20 degrees toward our left. And this building had just been there. We, I never heard of it, never knew anything about it. And well, we you didn't have the elevation that you should have had. Uh, what happened? How was, was the sound of what you heard causing you to not uh, have the altitude that you should have had? Yeah, exactly. Good good question. I'm glad you mentioned that. We should have been climbing and continued to uh, increase our altitude. But for some reason, at about 100 feet, we didn't climb nor descend. We just, they call it mushing. Our aircraft pitch was high and we weren't going down, but we weren't going up either. Oh, There's a strange not enough power. It, that's of course, there's all kinds of conjectures as to what it was. I can tell you now what it was. It was the increase in pitch too soon uh, by the guy in the left seat. And pilot the, error. Pilot error to begin with, 
pilot error accentuated because the actual captain of the aircraft is in the right seat. He waited too long to take control. But when he did take control, he lowered the nose to build up speed. He could have, in hindsight, added flaps a little bit, made sure the power was at maximum. Um, but anyway, the... the changed well, direction well, too, no? Well, away he, from the cemetery. He was trying to, but yeah. the wood chip uh, caught him off guard. Mm. The, the trees caught him off guard. And we crashed into a seven-story tall building at the official impact speed is accurate, 135 miles an hour. And we pounded into the top of it uh, with a complete solid impact. Wow. Impact is what killed the other two pilots. And that impact was what the biggest threat of my life was because it was a solid head-on collision with an uh, immovable object. And you were in the back seat, basically. I was not in the back seat, but I was in a temporary third seat. Half of my body was in the cockpit. Mm. My rear end was right about where the bulkhead is. So it was a temporary third seat that we put in there just for a third pilot on days like that. I'd wow. never sat there before. But we impacted that. And uh, and then there was no airplane to be in any longer. The impact was so great that the bro the airplane broke up into thousands of pieces. Did it explode? So, so th define explode. Uh, fire. No, no fire. Fortunately. Unfortunately, which is really strange because we were full of fuel. Mm. And in hindsight, when the NTSB did the uh, in investigation, there was no engine failure. There was no engine reduction in power. Both engines were running at full speed mm. as, as proven by the rotation of the propeller blades. So too much so pitch. A little strange. But the pitch, uh, the, the, the aircraft was rotated too soon. Yeah. Uh, the pilot in the left seat uh, did that in incorrectly. The guy in the right seat, my instructor and friend, he waited too long to take control. One thing led to another. It doesn't, oh, and we made an intersection departure, leaving about 2,000 feet of runway behind us. We needed that runway that yeah. day. Anyway, uh, so here's this accident. Well, let me ask you, um, what do you remember after the accident? How, when did you start? I mean, I'm, I assume you were unconscious, yes? What was your first memory? My first memory was looking down at three pilot bodies just at the crash site really i don't remember the and your own body as well yes uh, i i looked at gene he was decapitated i look at uh, chuck chuck was bleeding and then the blood stopped and uh, he was cut very badly and it was motionless the third body was me it was clearly me and i knew it was me i there was my clothes there's my shoes there's my epilepsy with and no what epilepsy condition were you in according to what you saw crashed and smashed up against the instrument panel the cockpit had separated and i was in almost uh glued into it it was a, a tremendous force uh wow. between me and that and that uh, cockpit instrument panel and and there's facial uh facial injuries that indicate that the instrument panel did a lot of the damage 
that's a very common story uh, in near-death experiences where uh, the person's spirit or whatever rises and they're looking down on the situation, you know, in the emergency rooms or whatever. Um, but you didn't know that at that time because there weren't a lot of near-death experiences that were advertised, were there? Well, in my case, there was none. I never heard of any. Now, there may be, for those who study yeah. the thing, I had other things to study, and that was not part of my uh, perusal, they say. Anyway, I'm looking down, and I realize all of a sudden, David, that I, I now know, oh, my gosh, I am a spirit. The real me. Well, you had, you continued to have consciousness. Absolutely. And I wasn't even afraid, nor did I feel any pain. Really? I knew I was a spirit. I knew I had a soul and there was my body. And all of a sudden I realized I'm no longer, I'm not my body. I never right. was my right. body. What happened next? Well, I realized that I had my whole life upside down. I was trying to look good, act good, uh, be somebody that I probably wasn't. And in reality, I realized that all of us are made in God's image. I mean, this sounds crazy. But How long did it take you to go through that thought process? Was it like instantaneous or was it, was it minutes? Good detailed question. It took 20 seconds for me to realize that it was me that had been in a crash. It, a, a little confusion. It took another 20 seconds for me to realize, okay, I'm dead and I'm up here. That's only 40 seconds. From then on, everything made sense. Okay, I'm dead. There's my body. Oh, my gosh. And how sad that I died so young. And there's Chuck. Oh, my God. thinking about the family. I was thinking about Chuck. I wasn't thinking about anybody else. Just Chuck. Just me. Mm -hmm. And uh, I was thinking about me in relationship to what I could see. But I was not thinking about anything else. Just, wow. There I am, dead. I died so young. There were so many things Chuck and I were going to do. There's Chuck. There's me. It's over. And yet I didn't feel sad, David. I didn't feel pain. I just realized that I was living my life completely upside down. And I think that that's common. I don't know, but I think it's common. when well, it's people the proverbial, die. my life flashed before me in a flash, like... You know, and you think about where you are and uh, the journey you came on and regret, whatever. Not, yeah, this was not the proverbial flashback. Not yet. It comes later. <laughs> but this was a proverbial, what the heck happened? Oh, my gosh, I am not my body. That's not, that's not who I really am. And I began to understand that I was made, like we all are, in the image of God. We are a spirit. Later... I started reading the Bible, not before that, but later, afterwards, I started reading the Bible and understood then that the heart and the spirit are the same. According to God's word, the accurate translation of his word, the heart and the spirit are the same and they live eternally. And it's all made sense to me, not only a few seconds after the crash, but for every moment of my life ever since. So did you observe the ambulance coming and the bodies being taken to the corner and your body taken to the hospital? You never lose consciousness of what was going on? It was I, a continuous reality for you? 
True. It was continuous, kind of real time. And I saw the paramedics show up and they they didn't even go to Gene. He was decapitated. They went to Chuck. They thought, hey, they might be able to resuscitate him. They went to me and they they had a paramedic that worked on my chest and on my mouth. And I watched him resuscitate me. And uh, I didn't realize that I was resuscitated because I'm still out of my body. They put me in the ambulance, my body in the ambulance. What evidence did you see that made you think you were resuscitated? Was there movement? Well, I was I was just thinking logically, why would they put a body in an ambulance? Same thing with Chuck. Why would they put him in? So they must have had some indication. And there was some motion. So that looked like I had resuscitated. When the ambulance started driving away, this is kind of strange. I uh, I had to chase it. I had to I had to stay with it. I don't know. Well, you how. could have stayed there, but you chose to follow the ambulance. I chose to follow my body. I I I felt compelled. And you had that power. You had that will. You you could go wherever you want. Apparently, apparently. While you're in this limbo. Apparently so. Yeah, okay. I don't so understand you, it. So you got to the hospital. Then what happened? I went through the, now it's proverbial, out of my body, watching myself get wheeled to the emergency room. And I have a proverbial, uh, using your word, flashback of my life. But my flashback of my life is about five minutes of my life. And that's it. Nothing before, nothing after. Your entire life? Five minutes? Five minutes. That's pretty quick. (laughs) no, No, I didn't say it correctly then. Only five minutes of my life was revealed to me. Just wow. five minutes. I mean, I had lived 19 years, but I only saw five minutes of my life. And which five and minutes was, was that? It was when I was 12 years old at a, uh, oh. you remember this, it was the a most second important time. part. Yeah, it was the most important part. I was at uh, Camp Cedar Crest yes. up, up near... Uh, Lake Arrowhead, yes. uh, in Southern California. Oh, well. Okay, all right. And I had heard some young preacher preach a uh, sermon about Jesus, about the Bible, about the gospel, about salvation. I saw myself kneeling literally at a little wooden cross with this guy and other kids were with me. And I was confessing my sin and inviting Jesus into my heart and my life. And I could see myself being literally zealous and full of vigor and zeal that I had become a child of God. And I was taught, and I believed it, that I was heaven bound because of what I had done at that time. Anyway, watching this in the hospital, realizing that that's probably why I'm alive. And also realizing that, wow, what happened to me? I had veered off. I'd never rejected God, David. I never rejected the name of Jesus or the, or his, if I may say, his lordship. But I was a huge disappointment and a sorry excuse for a believer in Jesus. I was would just- you say, Would you say that you lost your first love? Yeah, I would say I did, but I lost my first love, but without denying Jesus, sure. without denying that God was real. Uh, just, a, it's a proverbial, here I have a proverbial again, the proverbial marriage 
they're on their honeymoon and the honeymoon's over. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. My life could be summed up, and of course I was young, but I was very selfish, very self-centered, self-absorbed. Uh, <laughs> it's one thing to want to be a pilot. It's another thing to just make it almost a god. Uh, the the drive, the goal, everything sure. was get out of my way. I'm on my <laughs> quest to pay my own way to become a pilot someday. Anyway, well, it I'm sounds- sure. You, I'm sure. Now. I'm sorry for interrupting. I just want to guide this in a direction uh, to keep my uh, uh, listeners interested here. Um, I'm sure you saw the movie Ghost, right? Yeah, yeah. And did. Uh, that, that was very powerful. Um, you know, theology aside, uh, I think they got it right with, you know, the light coming down and, and the demons coming up and, and all of that stuff. How would you say that you were in this limbo place? Because your book says you went to heaven. And I'm anxious to hear how you got there and how long it took you to get there. Yeah, the movie Ghost, I'm not an expert on that movie, but I do remember uh, uh, I remember a huge impact when the demons, uh, I didn't expect that to happen. Uh, that happened, that, that very similar thing happened to my friend Chuck. Uh, he was in the hospital and, and he was taken and drawn away. I and, saw this, huh? Yeah, I, I oh, sensed wow. it. Very similar to the movie. And then I saw it. Yeah. And I, I would, out of respect for him and his family, his kids and all, yeah. I said nothing about it until the book Visiting Heaven. It is it is described there. That's why you said you felt a little guilty that you didn't share your faith with him while he was alive. And that's a lesson right. to all of us. You're, you you're, it's a lesson to all of us. You're right, David. Yeah. Yeah, but uh, I saw that, and when I saw the movie Ghost, I, it, it couldn't have been depicted much wow. than that, but I've never been able to watch it again. It's sure. just, it's horrifying to remind myself of the failure that I had, but God bless, <laughs> God has blessed me, and he turns these things that are, that are evil and bad and sure, even sure. horrible memories, and he can turn them into wonderful things, great healing. But, uh, when did they give up on your body? When did they declare you dead? Uh, I don't think they ever did. Really? Uh, they kept working on my body. And David, I cannot verify that I was dead. I'm not, I've never said that I was dead. Others have. Near death. Others have said that. Yeah. But I've never said I was technically clinically dead because I can't prove that. All I know is I was away from my body there didn't seem to be blood flow to the first responders. They moved back, afraid of the fire. <clears throat> the The doctor did put the paddles on my uh, on my chest more than once, uh, so he was probably uh, thinking I was dead. But I still can't confirm that I was clinically dead. Respiratory. Well, technically, if you don't have blood flow to your brain, uh, I think it's uh, I forget how long it is uh three hours yeah. and you'll okay. be permanently brain damaged yeah. my wife had a stroke and it they have a three-hour window to get blood flowing yeah. back yeah. otherwise you got right. some problems you know right but uh i was above that room and when when i was looking down at my body just wondering what's going to happen next i was being somehow pulled backwards out of the emergency room 
hold backwards, moving away from Spirit. my body. Uh-huh. And I couldn't control it, couldn't steer it. Uh-huh. And now I'm going down through the hallway, away from my body, further and further away, having no idea what's going on or why. And then I'm out of the building, out of the atmosphere, just zooming uh, toward a very bright light that was brighter than the sun, yet it didn't hurt to look at it. You could look at it uh, permanently and not worry about having your eyes burned or singed. And it got bigger and bigger. And I, I didn't have to really turn my head left or right, but... I could see pretty much behind me, and uh, I was being uh, escorted by two angelic beings that were larger than me. They, I can't tell that, I don't think they were male or female, but they looked masculine to me. They wore a silver garments with silver threads, and they were like bronze in color. And they were delighted to guide and direct me. And I got closer and closer to this bigger and bigger light. And strangely, I felt like I was going to heaven. And I have had years and years and years to think about this. And only a few, only a couple of years have I been talking about it. Uh, but I knew that it was heaven. How did I know that? Well, no one had to say. Was it was it up? <laughs> it was it was i guess it would be up it was like another i would say literally another galaxy i i really have wondered if the galaxy m87 could possibly be heaven i'm not saying it is but if you look on the internet galaxy m like in mike 87 take a look it is one humongous galaxy. It's bigger by far than the Milky Way, and it's all gold. Mm. That's why I just wonder, because it's all gold. It's, the, it's the strangest uh, galaxy I've ever seen, and I'm not an astronomer. I don't even hardly study it, but it is an interesting uh, concept. I was going to some either planet or galaxy, and I started slowing down, decelerating, and getting near what looked like a gorgeous landscape, a city on the planet, other side. A planet? Or you would consider it a planet? It would be a city, for sure. Whether it was on a planet, I would guess yes, but I did not see an orb, only the light. By the time I get closer, uh, it's just a big city, a big city, a large city, and no, no less large than Paris. Seeing Paris at night, you may have... What kind of buildings? A huge assortment of buildings from small, what we might say, condos. So they, were, they look very similar to the buildings that men build. Yes, yes. More colorful and more harmonic <laughs> and... Uh, I had an interesting concept that it seemed like the architecture was not man-made. It seemed like the architecture was divine, but I knew these were made uh, for for God's children. Yeah. I just got a glimpse at the beginning, and then I got down below the wall and came into this uh, grassy area with a road, uh, 
and uh, descended and the light was still coming through the wall and it was coming through the people that were gathering there and uh, quickly of course there's music going on that that's a that's a what kind of music the kind of music that you hear with your heart not with your ears i think i heard it with my ears but it was not primarily with the ears it was music from the heart it's divine and it fits a design i believe from god himself i believe that he's made music for us and that we're a part of it and uh, the music was going on beyond the wall i saw a glimpse of a a group of people did you recognize types awesome. of instruments that the music was or any vocals Okay, if we're going in sequence, it's too early for that. Okay. But later, yeah, we could talk about that. Instruments and vocals, and nothing seemed nothing seemed unearth-like except the majesty of it, the magnitude of it is much bigger than anything we've ever seen or heard on Earth. Uh, can you imagine hundreds of thousands of people singing in perfect harmony with one another, maybe five-part harmony, with every pitch and every note being wow. not exactly on tune, but really close to <laughs> on tune, so that it has this choir sound and choir effect. But what you, what I come away from the music is perfection, octaves, way higher and lower than I've ever heard with my natural ears. I, you know, at my age, I can't hear certain uh, any more tones that are higher. But in heaven, I believe that we hear two, three, four, maybe five, ten octaves above middle C as well as below. These are just human words I'm trying to describe. The main thing about music... I had a guy from the Philharmonic Orchestra write to me, and he said, I, I, "You know, I'm I'm a I'm not the conductor; I'm the assistant, but this is my life. I got to ask you questions." So we went back and forth for a while with emails. He wanted to know, wanted to know, and I couldn't explain to him because he understands music from the natural realm, uh -huh. and I don't. And I understood the music from the spiritual realm because I had experienced it. And we're talking like this, you know, we're, we're just missing each other until finally at the very end, I think we got it. And I said, remember this, the music I'm describing is heard and experienced through every cell in your body, but it's, it's a spiritual music. He understood every cell in the body because he feels like that's the way he hears music anyway, through every cell in my body. He says, we try to, we try to do that to, to, to communicate this beautiful music with a giant orchestra. I said, I love it. I love it. But I said, if you can picture that perfection times 100 and then add to it the love of God in the music, the light of God in the music and the life, L-I-F-E, life of God. Put life in the music. Put the love of God, all that's agape love, 
that's unconditional love in every note and put life in that now 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 we can communicate <laughs> so we had an interesting uh discussion but the music of heaven can be duplicated on the earth i believe but it's rare did you have the opportunity to meet the big man himself <laughs> i did uh, this this came later when after the this family and after the book of life and after going through the pearly gate and all these uh, amazing things all of this is written i think well in the book visiting heaven so uh, uh, how long i'm sorry I give you a million questions here how long did it feel like this whole thing lasted in your mind as you were experiencing it did it feel like minutes hours days weeks you know that's a good question i get asked that a lot and 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 others have said this time is you know doesn't exist because we know dale there's no time in heaven yeah. and i and i i i kind of react quickly i said what do you mean there's no time in heaven how do you have music without time <laughs> how could uh, you, you know, can you imagine music without time i mean there would be no beat everybody's maybe that's what jazz is <laughs> Yeah, but uh, there, was, there was clearly time in heaven. Uh, my welcoming committee arrived at just the right time. God, <clears throat> I learned later, I didn't know this then, David, but when I came back and I've spent my whole life learning about God, studying about the nature of God, who he is, oh my gosh, God is really, really mathematical and he's really attentive to timeline it's mm. everything he does in the bible by the way he fulfills at exactly the time he says it will be fulfilled and generations go by sometimes thousands of years go by sometimes but things happen exactly on the day that it was supposedly prophesied yeah. and i have to believe all of this to be true maybe Even there is time in heaven it's just so huge you know it's not a 24-hour day it's a infinity day yeah there you go because there is no uh night in heaven it's it's light and and life and love and there's no there's no darkness there's no sin there's no sickness there is time but time isn't rushed this is my experience time isn't rushed you're not looking at oh my gosh i gotta get going here you know i have to make this it there's there's a freedom and there's a peace with time, but everything is done in order and it's a perfect order. I, I think that's why it says one day is like a thousand years. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It slows it down. Yeah. There was this interesting group, if I can share with it, it's, it, again, it's shared well in the book of uh, visiting heaven, but it kind of changed my life. Uh, there was this group of people that was, greeting me. And I was certain, David, that it was going to be an aunt, an uncle, a grandparent or something. I was still young, so I had a lot of my family alive on the earth. But I, I was quite certain some of these people, about 20 of them, they would be blood relatives and they'd come to greet me and bring me into the city, uh, so on, so on, so forth. And to make a long story short, and I will say this very quickly, uh, I found out that none of these people were 
my biological family back at home, but they looked at me with smiles that was that were uh, brighter than ever. Yeah. Their eyes were cleaner and uh, more loving than ever. And I began to realize and discuss later after I woke up in the hospital and I was alone with God, I was communicating with him. And he said, Dale, did you notice the male and female gender differences? And I said, God, what are you talking about? He said, did you notice the gender differences? Oh, my gosh. Yes. Yes. There, there was male. There was female. And I hadn't even noticed it. Did you notice the differences, Dale, in the race or the color of skin? Or did you notice the differences? Uh, oh, my gosh yes there was there was asian there was hispanic there was what we would call white there was what we would call black there was every race so to speak represented there none of it mattered i didn't even notice it see in heaven and the way it can be on earth too when we make jesus our lord not just savior but our lord and we surrender to him when we look at another person we don't see male, female, uh, you know, Middle Eastern or or Mexican or what. We, we see God's creation, and we're all we're all one. Jesus didn't come to save a race; he came to save humanity. The gospel is for all people, all nations. It isn't an American gospel. This is God's gospel that sent Jesus that no one should perish, but everyone who believes on him would have everlasting life. Anyway, that was a kind of an interesting experience to me, and it paved the way. Some have said, Dale, now we know. Some have said on the earth back here in my office, they said, now we know, Dale, that your story is a lie. You're lying. You're... And I, I said, well, I don't care what you think of me. It doesn't matter to me. Um, I don't get paid for this, by the way. This is all a gift for God. What was, what was their proof that you were lying? Well, that what they were saying was, we know that you're lying because you didn't have any blood relatives in that community that met you at the gate. And I laughed because, are you kidding me? We are blood brothers, blood sisters, because we I've been bought and paid for by the blood of Jesus. And that makes us blood brothers, blood sisters forever. Later, I met my own biological family for sure inside the gate. But here, I think, David, I think God actually wanted me to remind people that the most important relationship is between us and God through Jesus and that relationship with each other, the blood of Jesus between people like you and me and, and me and my sister across the street, not my real sister. She's a disciple of Jesus. She's my real sister because it's the blood of Jesus flowing between us all. And I think that that's important. So did you meet Jesus or did you meet his father, God? Well, God is on the throne. God is the the light came from God, but Jesus and God and the Holy Spirit are they're all the same. I assume yeah. he's sitting next to God. Yes. 
yes. on his right yeah. side. Yeah, of course, I was not in the throne room. I was not up there. Uh, there was a uh, stairway that led up to what I believed was the throne room. Uh -huh. of and I got onto that stairway, but I was not permitted to go up. Uh, there was a blockage. Uh, an angel had stopped me and said that I could not go up. But so how much access do people who are who are there have to God? Uh, I I cannot say to other people. I do not know. I, I the only thing I reference David is what does the Bible say? Uh, I, and I have to say now, what does a good, accurate translation of the Bible say? Uh -huh. These paraphrases, these modern translations, they're getting so mixed up that I, I, I'm just rolling my eyes left and right. But <laughs> uh, I did see people going up and down uh, the stairs, that stairway that I'm talking about. I, I could not go. I did ask in a very cordial, gentle way. I said, I can't go up. And they said, no, Dale, if you go up, you will never be able to go back and go back. Well, mean that's that? a good question. Did you want to stay there or did you want to go back or did you think you had no choice? David, I never thought for one millisecond about Earth. It was never even a thought. I was never, I, it was as if it didn't even exist. I was only thinking about where I was and, and what I was doing. And the, the angel turned, the one that had said this, uh, and stepped aside. And then there was this, uh, the Son of God. There I was looking at uh, the Son of God. And I, I have written about it. I'm happy with the way it was written. The publisher allowed everything that I wanted to say to be said. Uh, Destiny image was wonderful in this regard. Sean Tabbitt helped so much in this regard. My wife is the best editor ever. But I was very careful how to write about uh, meeting Jesus. And it's extremely difficult to talk about something so sacred. But people have wanted to know, what does he look like? Well, how tall is he? What's his <laughs> eyes look like? Uh, and, and all I would be willing to say, if you if, if you're not going to read the book, fine. But all I'm willing to say is that uh, there was just this authority, uh, regal, the words I don't, I don't even hard, hard to use, uh, majesty. Uh, and I just felt so inadequate and felt so humbled. I just fell at his feet. Uh, his face is written, uh, I can't even hardly describe it without breaking down uh, with emotion right now, but I held on to his feet and uh, I, I just, the 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 power, uh, just so much power with yeah. unconditional love. And I, I knew that Jesus was the son of God. I knew that before. I knew that he had died as a lamb slain, but I'd never recognized his authority. And when he comes again, by the way, he does come again, but this time he doesn't come as a carpenter's son. He comes as the king of kings, a lord of judge, and he's coming to judge the wicked. 
And I do not look forward to those people and what they are going to see. There will be a rapture, the rapture of the church. There is a word that I believe the Bible implies that there's a rapture, but I'm, a, I'm, I'm afraid to say that most Christians have the timing of the rapture quite incorrect, and it's going to catch them off guard. The Bible's more clear than the books and the movies. <laughs> uh, the, there, there will be a rapture, but it's not going to happen in the twinkling of a night anytime now soon. No, there's going to be a whole Again, God's timeline, he spells it all out very well, very good. But anyway, when I was at the feet of Jesus holding on to his nail-scarred hand, he put his hand on my shoulder, leaned down, and whispered some words that I cannot say right now, and that changed my life. The next thing I knew, the next second I knew, I was looking out of a gauzed, wrapped head in a hospital, hearing the sounds of glorious music fading away, and I'm on earth, and that's... Oh, was that quickly? You didn't, you weren't told you have to go back, uh, you didn't feel the journey back, you were just, beam me up, Scotty. <laughs> <laughs> or down, <laughs> yeah. yeah. I went from heaven wow. one moment to waking up in the hospital. Did they and say first, you were in a coma? I mean, what 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 did they believe that period of time that you were gone, uh, their definition of, of what happened to you? Well, my first body, I should say. Yeah, my first words were, Do you know Jesus? I said that to my <laughs> to my uh nurse, and she told me that. And then my next words were, What happened to my eyes? They misunderstood. Uh, I said, what happened to my eyes? What happened to my eyes? But my mouth was all gauzed and my, I was a mess and uh, I couldn't speak well. I had stitches and wires, but I was ask, asking what happened to my eyes. They thought I was talking about my eye that had been injured. So they were trying to comfort me, but no, I, I was talking about what happened. I can, I can see uh, 20 dimensions in, in the world, I can see everything. Can't you see it? And and everything's so different. And I was talking about my eyes, my eyes, this new um, vision, which I believe is from God. Of course, it's from God. There's no doubt about that. But I think that I can keep that vision if I get alone with God when I pray and I fast, that same kind of spiritual perspective because that's what it is. It's seeing the world through God's eyes. Mm -hmm. And I can't have that when I live in this day, this day in world, working on the internet, fighting with the computers and <laughs> dealing with all the business of living. But when I get away and pray and fast and take time to be alone with God, then my spirit, can I just use my physical uh, motion here? My spirit, which is the inside of me, rises up and it becomes more dominant than my mind. My spirit becomes more dominant than my body. My spirit becomes more dominant than my flesh and all the things around me. Now that is living a spirit 
filled life. And I think that's what happens to Paul the Apostle when he went to have the revelation of Jesus Christ in the book that's recorded as the book of Revelation. But I think that this experience can happen to any born-again believer who will surrender their heart, their life, and stay uh, surrendered to, to God and let his spirit live in you. And, and I was, I said, uh, I, I said, Paul, but I mean, John, John is the one that had the, the uh, book of revelation revealed to him. Well, that's quite a story. And how can they read drop something? <laughs> how can they read your book, uh, which I assume has much more details than we spoke about here in this uh, uh, hour interview? Yeah, it's about 300 and some pages, and wow. it took about 10 years to write. We worked hard on it and uh, took our years. time. That's a long time. We took our time and did it. We felt like we did it right, pleasing to God, lifting up God, uh, not bringing glory to the author or the editors, mm. but bringing glory to God. So anyway, Visiting Heaven is available at Amazon. Uh, that's the who's the publisher destiny image is that a christian publishing house or or no i don't i can't define what that means anymore (laughs) uh do they publish other christian books or yes i believe they do yes so but you've got interests not only from christians uh people who don't know the god are interested in this book yes oh yeah it's uh it's uh it's in the top 25 uh, selling books uh, in that genre. And uh, we're just, it's just, it's not religious. It's, they call it Christian, but sure. we didn't write it to the Christian community. We wrote it to those who don't hate God right. and those who want to know more about God. So, I put a couple of pictures of people that I know, and my wife and I looked at those pictures every day for 10 years while we were writing that book. And I wrote another book called Flight to Heaven. I did the same thing with that book, a different uh, mm-hmm. group of people. But but yeah, this is not religious. Uh, this is this breaks the mold of, of those that go to church every day. But this I believe is pleasing to God and it is my story. And if it's the last thing I do, I'm pleased yes. God in writing. <laughs> Praise well, the Lord. I, I can't believe how fast our time has gone today. Um, our show isn't normally this long, but I, I couldn't stop. Ooh, so uh, yeah, you're thank right. you so much for coming on the show. Um, no, is there anything uh, in the last few minutes that we have that you wanted to talk about that uh, were, wasn't asked by me? Well, I would just say to the, to your viewers, if they're not sure uh, that you're going to heaven when you die, get a good, accurate translation of a Bible with red letters. Those red letters are the words of Jesus. And just read the red letters. You can do this in a half of a day. Learn well, what, what translation you- would you recommend? Because a lot of people can't get behind the Shakespearean uh, old English, you know, that it's just too thick for them. Is there another well, version I, that you prefer? If that be the case, then the new King James version is 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 a good. I would stay away from uh, 
a lot of translations, but the New King James would be a good one. You can also uh, go to daleblack.org. There's a button called Book Your Heaven Flight, and there you'll find videos and some letters that that reference Bible scriptures that Jesus talks about uh, how to get to heaven, how to know for sure, 100% for sure, that when your life on this earth is done, you'll go to heaven. Yeah, uh, it's very controversial, the web where you saw, where you looked down and you saw your friend uh, being taken by the demons. It's a scary topic. No one likes to talk about hell, but you know, hell wasn't created for humans, was it? It was created for the devil and right. his demons, which uh, seems an appropriate place to send them. Yeah. But uh, I don't think God sends anyone to hell, does he? He gives people a choice um, and they can choose, you know, light or darkness. Is that uh, the way you see things? Yes. Children that are uh, that that die when they're young, they go automatically to heaven. Those that are before what I call the age of accountability. That's what I call it. It's not a Bible term, but when a child is still too young to make real big decisions for themselves, they go to heaven when they die. When we get older, beyond that uh, age of accountability, and only God knows where that is, probably somewhere around 12, we see the age of Jesus was when he went to the temple. So probably somewhere around there. Yes, it's up to us what we do. Here's here's the kicker. According to the Bible, I don't care if it's uh, controversial. It doesn't matter mm -hmm. to me. It doesn't matter to me. My whole life's on the line here. I don't care. I don't care. I'm not funded by this. I don't care about my fame, my reputation. I don't care. But know this, that Jesus said <laughs> that God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. It's all about what we do with Jesus. Was he just a good teacher? Was he just a good man? Was he a prophet? But maybe he's a lunatic. Or was he really the son of God? Because if he was the son of God, you better learn about him. And you better get serious about your life because what you do with Jesus will determine where you go when this earth is over. That's not just my opinion. That's God's opinion. Yeah, I heard I heard someone say that uh, God doesn't have any grandchildren, uh, only children. You know, <laughs> just because your parents are Christian or devout or uh, religious or whatever. By the way, religious, uh, I don't think Jesus liked religious people. Um, right. But yeah, everyone has to meet uh god through jesus themselves they don't inherit salvation do they yeah he he said uh, no one comes to the father except through me yeah oh that's I do still believe. a tough word for jews to to receive but more and more jews are realizing if they read isaiah 53 that he sure sounds like the messiah you know yeah, <laughs> he's the Messiah. There's no doubt about it. <laughs> and Jesus didn't come just for the Jews. He didn't come just to pray and, and preach to the Jews. Okay. He came to save all of humanity. He who believes. All right. And uh, I'm sure there'll be people who criticize us for trying to jam the gospel down anyone's throat. We're just sharing what happened to you. It's a, It's an amazing story. And uh, we would be remiss if we did not share 
stories like this because I think a lot of people know that life is more than just flesh and blood and the things that that man build that that are constantly in decay, you know. But the things that are invisible are the things that are going to be around forever. Things that we see are the things that are not, you know, they're here today, gone tomorrow. You they know, think- I think we all want love. I think we all need love. We want to give it. We want to receive yeah. it. And and God is love. He's also a judge, but the love of God is what brings me to to want to know more and more about him. Thank you, Dale, so much for coming on the show. Pleasure, um, it was one of our best shows. I've certainly learned a lot. Um, I've heard about other people who've had near-death experience, but I've really never read any of their books or anything like that or had them on my show. But I'm glad that you came on. And just a reminder to everybody out there uh, that all our live shows become recorded pod and videocasts on your favorite platforms. Uh, my number one best-selling book, Secrets from the Hammock, Uncommon Wisdom for Uncommon Times, is spreading wisdom all over the world, available wherever books are sold uh, also. And it's on my free membership website, caregiverdave.com, where you can also schedule a free 30-minute initial coaching session. Talk about whatever it is that you're struggling with. 30 minutes of wisdom can often solve a debilitating problem. Again, caregiverdave.com. And don't forget my Caregiver Dave Facebook online community of 34,000 caregivers, lots of tools, resources, videos, this radio show, and much more. And did you know that if you click the like or follow button on whatever platform you're watching and listening to this interview on, it helps us reach even more caregivers by improving Google search engine algorithms. So one more time, Dale, if someone wanted to get a hold of you, uh, your website is what? DaleBlack.org. That's it. And uh, everything they need is there. And so thank you again for coming on the show. And thank you to everyone who tunes in every week and making us the number one caregiver radio show on the internet. So until next week, same time, same channel. May God richly bless you all. Bye-bye. Well, thank you, Gail. Gail, Dale. <laughs> thank you, David. It's a pleasure to meet you. Boy, you know how to talk. You you just you just flow with words. That's awesome. Oh, thank you. You're kind. I have to work hard at it, but you, you just... Well, it's the older I get, the harder it gets, you know, where I, I have to search for the words. Yeah. And sometimes yeah. I just need a script to help me get through it smoothly. I know what you mean. Uh, I can't always find the words. They they try to fly away, and I try to grab them. It and, was easier uh, when we were 30, I think, but uh, yeah. yeah. Well, I'm going to be 70, and it sounds like you're not too far above me. Maybe no, 73, 74. 74 yeah, 74 in two weeks. Yeah. Yeah. Two weeks. Can, well, two weeks. Still in December then, huh? Uh, New Year's Day. New Year's oh, Day. I'm January 13. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, gotcha. Well, thanks again, and thank okay. Pamela for setting this up. That's I will, name, right? and send our prayers and our regards to Charlene, your wife. I will. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. God bless you. Bye-bye. God bless you. I'm Dave Nassani. My fourth book, Secrets from the Hammock, Uncommon Wisdom for Uncommon Times, is a number one bestseller on Amazon. As a young boy... I was told I possessed an unusual amount of wisdom for my age. As a young man, I found myself counseling friends and older family members whenever they needed answers to their problems. Then at 21, I read the Bible for the very first time and learned how King Solomon asked God for wisdom instead of riches, yet he received both. I was so impressed that I too asked God for wisdom. Soon after, I discovered when lying on my hammock, I would receive wisdom from God. 
This book is the result of my passion to share with the world wisdom's tremendous benefits. Join me as I reveal practical aspects of wisdom for the mind, body, and spirit. 31 lessons I learned from God that can change your life. Available in hardcover, audible, Kindle, and paperback, wherever books are sold. I've spoken all over the country and London, and am available to speak at your event. Contact me at hammockwisdom.com. Sometimes it feels like the sun will never rise, like the birds will never sing again. 